Um, what we're going to be doing today, kind of prior to this little break, is um, we're starting a new series, um, mini-series, of over the course of four weeks that's uh, called The Garden. And um, what it is is we're, we're looking at um, moments in Scripture, either where, like, a garden literally is involved or where God is, um, like, speaking some truths like through garden terminology and uh i'll probably say this again but there's no no possible way we can hit all those in four weeks um you know that's it's used a lot just this idea of like what he's doing there um but uh uh, we wanted to like kind of engage with that and see like how god is like bringing life and like kind of his his story that he's telling through the scriptures um the, the bursting life of the garden is, is shown and used in aspects of faith throughout the scriptures um, from mankind being like placed in a garden at the beginning, you know, Genesis right away, we see like Adam and Eve placed in the garden um, or like metaphors of like planting and pruning and those kind of things that Jesus uses in his teachings or that we see even like an Old Testament prophet, a prophet speaking. Um, to uh, stories about vineyards and gardens and crops, to Jesus retreating to a garden um, prior to his death and like dealing with this whole like temptation of like and like and uh, sitting before God and saying like not my will but your will be done in this moment. Um, and he's preparing for him, himself for the cross at that point. And to finally, even like this restoration of, of like the Eden, the, the connection with God that happens, this kind of restoration of the garden that happens as we see at the end of the book of Revelation, where God has restored all things. And once again, there's this tree of life. Um, that's for the for all people and it's for the healing of the nations. So um, we we see this like throughout Scripture and um, all these like these stories and these metaphors and and these truths that are being taught. But in in like a different vein, there's also this aspect of like our souls reacting um, similarly to the way a garden grows. Uh, that that. Uh, you know, Hannah mentioned uh, a book a few weeks, a few Wednesdays ago, um, uh, Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas. We had some conversation about that and the ways that we like connect with God and we all, you know, we're built differently and like certain things like connect us in different ways and we worship naturally in different ways. Um, but near the end of that book, Thomas um, challenges us to, to tend to the garden of our souls um, there's this like there's this challenge to like be intentional about that, um, about cultivating the relationship that we have with Jesus to to not simply like, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm gonna hope for the best, you know, and see like what happens because that doesn't work out usually um, just to like not be intentional all bit, but to tend our souls toward maturity in Jesus and to be intentional in those ways. Um, Philippians two. 12 through 13, Paul's speaking to the church, and, and he has this, this statement where he's like, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's God working in you, for it's God working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. There's this, this idea of like, God is in us, he's, the Spirit is moving in us and doing these things, but there's also this moment of like, like I'm going to tend to the things and like orient myself towards Jesus and let him work in that place. There's working out our salvation with fear and trembling as well as God working in us in that. 
Um, so with actual vegetable gardening, I am chronically bad at this idea, like hardcore bad. It's not even funny, like how bad of a gardener I am. And it's not that I don't know what to do. And it's not that I don't care. Well, it's not that I don't care about the process, but what happens like every year we have, we have these like raised beds in our backyard and every year we're like, Oh yes, I get some tomatoes. I get some green beans. Like this is going to be awesome. And, uh, we plant things and we're like, you know, the whole family's out there, tend to tend the bed, get fertilized, make sure all the weeds are out completely clean, perfect canvas for us for lay the seeds out, water this thing. We pray over it, which is like, I don't even know, you know, like I'm not, I'm not joking. We pray over this garden and then we walk away and maybe even for the first couple of weeks, we're like, like at it, you know, but then we go on a family vacation or we have like a mission trip and I'm gone for 10, 10, 10 days and the family's gone from the house or we just are out of town for the weekend and then it slips and it's like, man, there's a lot of weeds. I'll get to it sometime, you know, like, and, and then we're like at the hope for the best kind of situation. And um, this year we're just doing flowers because we've given up. So, um, but we don't want to give up in the garden of our soul. Um, we want to, to, to tend to that and to like engage with the Lord in these places um, and, and ask him to move into these spots. Um, in the garden metaphors, we see both a call to intentional tending of our faith and a revealing of a Lord and King that does tending of his own in our own lives by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Like we're seeing that balance of these things of like there's some, there is some work for us to do. And this, this, I'm not, this is not a salvation thing. This is like growing our faith. This is what I'm talking about is like the growing of our faith. We have some work to do as God works in us and we continue to put ourselves in this position for him to move. Um, so over the next four times we meet, we're, you know, we're, like I said, we're not able to look at every single garden point that the text has, um, but we're going to be looking today at the start of it all. Um, we're going we're gonna to go back to Eden, and then in the next weeks, we're going to dig into Jesus' teaching about what kind of soil we should be, um, and then how the kingdom of God is like a seed that grows and just bursts into life. And finally, the culmination of the grand plan of God that welcomes us back into an Eden that's restored through Jesus. So um, let's pray, and then we're going we're gonna to jump to Genesis 3 at that point. Um, God, uh, we love you. Um, we praise you. And um, Jesus, thank you as, as we're in this, this, uh, this season and these weeks um, just leading up to what you have done for us. Um, but I pray that you just draw us more into thankfulness, uh, more into gratitude, and more into just uh, a love and obedience for you um, because of what you did, go, going to the cross, rising again, like the hope that we have because of you. Uh, help us to, to dwell on that. Um, so we love you, Christ, and um, I, I just ask, uh, Lord, for you to speak through these moments, these points, these things that you've laid on me and the, the scriptures and 
Um, if somebody needs to hear something completely different, Lord, just Holy Spirit, that you would be speaking that um, today. So we give you this time. We love you. Amen. So in Genesis 3, jumping straight in, it's also, there's a, f- a few points in you version, but it's not very uh, comprehensive today. Um, but in Genesis 3, we read this, verse 22. The Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Um, so this moment in Genesis 3, you're kind of jumping in res here, like just straight in to the story, but this is the loss of the garden. Like this place is, this is the loss of the garden. That's this moment that we see in Genesis 3 um, for Adam and Eve. Because they chose to go their own way and to try to make their own little kingdoms and be like God, taking the fruit um, that was the only thing to not do, they chose themselves, um, they're cast out of Eden. That's like this point of that. And they're now living in the midst of the curses that were told to them just prior to that in Genesis 3. You can kind of scroll back and kind of look above on the page and see um, these things that God was speaking to them. You know, death is now in the picture, which was the like initial thing that was promised in that anyway and warned. It's like, you know, if you take, if you choose this, you're going to die. Like that was a, that was the initial warning, but it's now in the picture. Um, humanity would strive against each other. It's another part of like kind of the warnings that God gives the, the, I don't know if curse is really the right term, but like the, the repercussions of what has happened. It's like now humanity is going to strive against each other. Um, there would be a struggle with the enemy from here on out. That's talked about with, uh, um, against the snake, against the serpent, against Satan. Um, and even the earth would be at odds with them. And you can see that all earlier in Genesis 3. This was the loss of the garden that they're experiencing as they're walking away. Like God has cut it off. You, can, you cannot come into this place again. Um, and the loss of the garden is the consequence of rejecting God's way. Um, and it's the consequence of, of sin. Um, and the thing, though, is like that's for Adam and Eve, but we are also where we are is also in the midst of the loss of the garden. Um, that's like the place we are in globally world, you know, like as a, as a, as a humanity, we're in the, we're in the midst of the loss of the garden still. Um, we're still in the midst of the curse. Um, now we, we have the hope and the, the beautiful thing is we have the hope of like being on this side of the resurrection um, at this point, there's still like a look forward to like, is there hope? And we know there is through Jesus and we get to respond to that. We get to surrender to him and follow him and, and receive that salvation that he gives. Um, but w- there's still this aspect of being in the midst of the curse. Um, we live in that, there's that, that phrase that's been coined. We're in the like already, but not yet where Jesus is like, he's like, it is finished on the cross, but it's not fully restored, and we're in that moment. Um, We trust 
that it's coming, but we've not experienced it fully. And we know that God will one day renew all things, but currently we live in the brokenness of the world. Um, it's any matter of looking around and we're going to notice that, that there is brokenness, whether it's, and you know, looking back at those consequences, whether it's like death or whether it's like uh, struggle with sin and temptation and like what Satan is doing in the world or whether it's struggle with one another and disunity um, or whether it's um, even like the earth, <laughs> the earth is broken. Um, you can look just even as far back as the storms that we just had and the devastation that those have wreaked, like that that's not the way God intended, um, but things are broken. Adam and Eve have to move on from the garden because of their sinful choice and now they have to settle away from the place that they were meant to inhabit. That's a really important phrase there, where they were meant to inhabit. They were meant to be in the garden. They were meant to be in this place with God, the very good place that God had set up for them. Um, and I found this is where we often start with the gospel when we tell a story. Like, I, I don't know, and maybe that's just me, but if if you, if somebody came and was like, okay, what's, what's the gospel, you know, which is a very good question that we should be able to answer. Um, I think that's something we should practice, um, speaking and offer that up whenever we can. But, um, if somebody asks that, I think often we're like, well, we've sinned, which is true. It's absolutely true. Um, but I think sometimes we jump ahead to Genesis three and forget what came before that. Um, we've lost track of like, you know, it's just like, well, we are garbage and Jesus came, which again, <laughs> not, not false, you know, but, but there, there's aspects that we kind of forget. And I think that tinges the way that we speak about the gospel. Um, it's not exactly the proper place to begin. It's great for leading into the rescue that we find in Jesus, but it also leaves out some pretty important information. Um, there's a guy named James Chung, and he wrote a book called True Story. It's, it's older now, but I, I'd highly recommend it when you're thinking about like how to, how to maybe like share the gospel if you're not really sure like what that looks like. Um, and I wanted to steal some of his terminology today. Um, Genesis 3 shows us the place where we were, quote, damaged by evil. That's the damaging moment. Evil has come into the picture. Sin has come into the picture, and we are damaged by it. Sin enters the world brokenness in our relationships with God and each other and the world comes into play. But that wasn't how things were made. Like God would not have said, this is very good if that's the way that things were made. It ha it's not how it's supposed to be. There's, there's a world that we were meant to inhabit, but sin has marred that. Um, things were supposed to be very good. Things were very good. And the garden was a place of, of provision and safety and unity and the greatest of all friendship with god like that is what adam and eve experienced in the garden pre-sin and i feel like here like every now and then we'll, we'll nod to the idea of like shalom a lot um but often uh, or sorry once again that's what we're seeing here in the garden it's like this like protection and provision and peace perfect like unity that's happening with Adam and Eve in the garden, harmony, the way things are supposed to be. God in the creation story keeps noting that things are good. You know, if we go back to like Genesis 1, it's like things are good. He saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. He saw that it was very 
good. Um, and that's what creation as God intended it looks like. Creation has come to a completion and God says, I've done it. Like we're at this like enough point with creating and it's very good. So in the garden, in the situation as it was supposed to be, Adam and Eve were together in harmony. They were at peace with the animals around them. They were given dominion over it. They had this edict to be fruitful and multiply and to be creators and cultivators in this place of goodness. And the land like fed them and gave them shelter. Like anybody up for that? I am. Just like, yeah, sure. <laughs> like that's, that sounds pretty good to me. But they were with God, most importantly. It's the most important piece of all of this. We're, we're told that God walks with them in the cool of the day. Like he comes in that moment. He's like walking, like, like they're hiding, like, they, like he doesn't know where they're at, you know. And, um, but he, he, he's actually walking with them in the garden. There's an intimate relationship there face-to-face relationship with God, walking honestly as friends. Like there's a friendship there that I don't even know that we totally grasp in this moment, in the place that we're at. This is the most important piece of the beauty that's in the garden. The garden is good. It's very good, but not just for its own sake. It's good because it's a gift of God and it's an effect of being with God. The garden would not be what it is without God's presence there with them. Though beautiful, it's nothing if God isn't actually involved. But prior to sin, God is involved, and he's in the midst of that, and in the midst of that involvement, he gives Adam and Eve the command to tend it. Um, even prior to sin entering the picture, there's this call to intentionally uh, tend to things. That's this like, be fruitful, multiply. Man has dominion over this thing. Like they're supposed to take care of what God has made. But as we read earlier, things get broken by sin. Um, but even in that, there are still promises made that point to something coming, to what's coming in the future, that there's still hope for a return to the garden. Um, there's two kind of major things that I, I want to make sure we don't lose track of in the midst of that. So we've come back to this point of Genesis 3 where they're like walking away. And the things that they have ringing in their ears, you know, is God, he like talks to the serpent and then he talks to Eve and he talks to Adam about like these like repercussions of sin. One though, this promise that's in the midst of those consequences is this in uh, chapter three of Genesis verse 15. There's this thing that like, I will put hostility between, he's talking to the snake. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Um, I actually talked about this a bit earlier in the semester, um, so I don't want to like belabor it, but it's, it's worth seeing again. The, the harmony of the garden may currently be lost. That may be the situation of our world. It is the situation of our world. But even in the initial aftermath of sin, like right away, God was already working a way back. He already had a plan. Or he's like, this thing is going to happen and bring us back to this place. The garden will be restored. What was meant to be will happen again. He's pointing to an offspring. That's kind of that word, the, the seed and seed. That's this idea of this offspring that will come. And something that's, that's talked about throughout 
the Old Testament scriptures continually referenced that there's this offspring, there's this offspring that will be coming, there's, there's going to be um, someone coming. Um, he's pointing to this offspring of Eve that will one day crush Satan's head, even as Satan wounds the offspring. And we, we know this to be Jesus. We look back on that and see how Jesus fulfills this thing. Satan may have stung him on the cross, but it was not forever. He rises again. But in the midst of that, Satan's defeated. So his head is crushed, but the heel is struck. Um, what, I, what I hope that we see in that is a bit of God's character, though, like looking back. Um, his love for us is given freely, even in the midst of Adam and Eve's sin. Right away, he is like, I still love you. I am still bringing you back. Adam and Eve had certainly not done anything to warrant such a promise. Um, I, I think it's like kind of mind-blowing at times to even consider like how often God just moves of his own accord and own love when there is no reason at all for him to have done that for us. Um, we, we haven't warranted such a promise either. He, he didn't have to even create humanity. <laughs> like, I think if we can grab a hold of that, you know, it's like God didn't, I'm not, I'm not trying to be like self-humanity deprecating today, but like God didn't need us. Like we, we see like that perfect unity already, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like there's perfect community and perfect harmony already there. Um, he wanted to create and, and it was like the crowning moment. That's when the very good part of creation comes is when humanity is made. Um, God opens up the circle of relationship with himself by forming humanity from the dust. And the story of scripture points to him desiring to get us back into that unity over and over and over again. He just wants to bring us back into that. No expense is too high for him. In the same moment that the garden is being torn from humanity, God is whispering, there is a path back. There will be a path back to me. Um, the other aspect, though, I want to grab onto is what God does before sending them out. Um, you know, we're told that, like, when God comes walking in the cool of the day, he's, he's moving through, and there's this whole thing where, which is kind of a beautiful piece of God's character, too. He's, like, calling for them. Again, I'm pretty sure God knew where they were, hiding behind this, like, bush, you know, kind of thing. But they've covered themselves. They, they've talks about that they were, prior to that, they were, like, naked and unashamed. But then they suddenly, with sin coming into the picture, are like, like realizing and their shame shame is really what the problem is so they've covered themselves with whatever they can with these leaves um and god has this conversation with them uh and you know he's like who told you you were naked you know and there's this conversation about like what happened sin leads to shame and adam and eve have continued on this like do it diy like I'm going to do it myself and fix this thing. They did it with uh, the fruit, trying to make their own little kingdoms. And now that once again, they're like, well, I, I, I need to cover myself up, so I'm going to do what I can. Um, but leaves are not going to cover shame for very long. That's not going to last. We know those things are going to disintegrate very quickly. It's not going to be a good fix. 
it's not going to be forever. Um, it's a short-term fix. But in Genesis 3, there's this like really small note about like God covering them with skins. And, and I, for so long, paid very little attention to that, like what, what that even was. But God steps in and gives them real clothing that's not going to wear out. It's a long-term covering of their shame. Um, and there's a paradigm shift when I realize, for me, when I realize, like, it's not just like, oh, here's these random skins that I have for you. You know, it's like animals in the garden had to die for that. We already see the shedding of blood covering the shame of humanity in that moment. And it's like, and he covered with them with skins. It's like so like just quick, but, but there's so much in that of like already seeing what God is doing for his people. Blood is shed and he covers shame in a long-term way for them when they're trying to cover their own shame didn't work. We see this as a precursor to what would one day happen to cover our shame completely. Um, Hebrews 9, the, the author looks back and is like, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And we see that even from that moment of the initial sin coming into the world. Um, the Lord, even in the midst of humanity, losing out on this very good garden is pointing to a day that he would bring us back to him and reinstate what was meant to be. Now, it's all great, but like, what, what's the, the point of that? Um, I want us to know that coming out of all of this, that, you know, if we don't understand that already, God made us for a relationship with him. He did not need us. Uh, my understanding, you know, of a couple like theological points is that God is like self-existent and self-sufficient. He doesn't need anyone or anything to exist. But again, he welcome, he opens up that circle and creates humanity for relationship with him. Um, love expands in that moment as he creates humanity. Um, from the beginning was the Father, Spirit, and the Son, and they have perfect union and community without us even getting involved, but God desired it. And he not only made us, but invited us into that relationship. But it was broken by sin, but God is in the habit of renewing things, and he did through Jesus. And I, I, don't, know, I don't know where each of you are. Like, I haven't had those kind of conversations with all of you. Um, when it comes to where you're at with Jesus. You know, you may have surrendered your life to him. You may be like a really big fan, but he isn't Lord of your life. I, I don't know. You, you may not really know what to think about the whole Christianity thing. Um, but God's story that he tells us through the scriptures is that he desires for us to return to him. He desires to restore us, that we may have lost the garden for now, but that he's going, that he is making all things new and he will completely make all things new. And he does that through his son, Jesus. Um, so if you don't know him, like my prayer is that you would seek after him, that you would dig into the scriptures, that you would ask him to speak to you. Um, and 
I believe he's going to respond and, and I'd love to talk through those things as well. Um, if, if you have questions, um, if you've been dabbling with following, I, I just jump feet first into that surrender. Um, he is worth it. His ways are so much better than our ways. And Jesus brings restoration into our lives. Um, but he asks us to surrender to him, to follow after him. Um, in Matthew 10, Jesus says, whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Um, if you're following hard, keep at it. Learn new ways of obedience and trust. Let the Spirit lead you as you tend the garden to your own heart. I don't know if Hannah looked at my notes or what she read there for worship today, but like that idea, you know, in Galatians 5, Paul's like, I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He goes on to say the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us walk with the Spirit. This keeping in step with the Spirit is, is internal and external. Um, internally, it's about like a growth of trust in God. It's about a closer relationship with Him. Jesus bridges that gap and He reconciles us back to the Father. And we just need to, you know, remember God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He wants that for us as well. He wants to walk with us. He wants to be in that relationship. And the fruit that I just read exhibits in our own life because of our proximity to God. Like that's, none of that stuff is like us, like, oh man, I'm just going to work on my kindness, you know, like, which I, we can work on our kindness, but like what's really coming is like God, like as we move closer to God, he's going to work that in us. Um, willpower will only get us so far. But this keeping in step with the spirit also exhibits externally. Um, James tells us that, you know, faith without works is dead. There's this connection of, of faith and action. And it's not about like our actions creating salvation or anything like that, but it's about like when I am fully trusting in God and like obedient to him, there's going to be stuff that pours out of that. Uh, it's not, it's, it's, it's two hands clapping. Like there are, those things go together. Loving God with all that we are is paired with loving others as ourselves and the teachings of Jesus. And while we tend the garden of our own souls, we also look for ways to bring the garden into the places we are, into the relationships that we are. To put it another way, we bring kingdom where we go in our lives, at our jobs, in our classes, in our friendships, our families, into our neighborhoods. We're to bring kingdom there, to bring the garden there. We live the gospel where we go. So here are some calls, I guess, for us today that I, I want to just think on, to take a minute and just encourage you as we go into the week, like to, to consider these things. Um, Ask God to reveal areas of sin and brokenness in your life. Like no matter where, where, where you're at with Jesus, whether it's like I'm not really sure or I'm kind of looking into it or like I'm falling hard after him, we still need to be asking those things. Like where, where are the places of like, is there brokenness still in me? Is there like sin that I'm either consciously or unconsciously 
messing around with? Like, what, what's going on here? Where are those places that need tended and where Jesus needs invited into to heal us? Like, what, what are those things? Where do we need to confess some things? Um, so ask God to reveal areas of sin and brokenness in your life. The second one is asking God to reveal where in our life that we can bring the garden mindset of peace and protection. Where are the dark and broken places externally? Like, where is that? Is that, is that your work? Is that classes? Is that your dorm? You know, like, what does that look like? Where can we be light? Where can we be representatives of Jesus and bring kingdom into those places? And then finally, just praying that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven over those spots. So I just want to take a few minutes, um, a few moments here to, to think on those things. God, where are the areas of sin and brokenness? Where are the areas in my life that I can bring kingdom? And then just praying that, that prayer of your kingdom come. Okay. All right, let's, let's bow our heads here and take a few moments. Lord Jesus, please um, reveal to each one of us uh, broken places. Um, please convict us if there are where those places of sin are in our lives, um, Lord. Um, Please reveal places of uh, maybe un, undealt with pain or ungrieved uh, sorrow. Uh, Lord, we give those things to you. We ask you to bring healing. Help us to grieve. Uh, Lord, um, we confess our sin to you. Uh, the sin that you have carried on the cross. And just ask you, Lord, to help us to to turn from that, to live pure lives before you. Um, Jesus, we also just ask for you to um, give us an awareness of the, the places that we are and the relationships that we have. Where to show us where we need to be intentional in those places. Where do we need to live out the kingdom? Where do we need to bring grace and mercy and truth and compassion? 
God, we just ask you to reveal those things. Lord, would your um, would your gospel just go into every uh, corner of this campus um, and every aspect of our lives, um, Lord? We just I, I just pray that the just your we we would pay attention to you calling us, you know, the light of the world, the salt of the earth, Lord, that you you would use us in those places. And we just pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our lives, uh, in our families, among our friends, in our classes, within our teams and clubs, in workplaces, that your kingdom come and your will be, would be done in this world. Um, we love you, Jesus. We praise you and thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for defeating death. And thank you for the hope that we have in you, this hope for the restoration of what was in the garden that we can look forward to walking side by side with God. Amen.